we do have this network of entrepreneur centers, incubators, colleges and universities that Launch Tennessee is pulling together so that we can try and build a critical mass of opportunities for capital. There should be no power dynamic between funder and founder. Uh, this notion that VCs need to be founder friendly is complete nonsense because it presumes something that we just don't accept in the first place. Hello, Powder Keg listener. You're tuned in to episode 61 of Powder Keg Igniting Startups, the show for entrepreneurs, leaders, and innovators building remarkable tech companies in communities outside of Silicon Valley. I'm your host, Matt Hunkler, and today we're sharing insights from our recent live show that we did in Nashville, where we unveiled the Tennessee Tech Census Report to a packed house full of amazing innovators, investors, entrepreneurs, tech builders, and this is the first time we've looked at a state's overall tech ecosystem, and the insights are pretty interesting. We invited six tech leaders to help us understand what's happening in markets like Nashville, Memphis, Knoxville, and Chattanooga. Some of those people that we brought onto the stage include Margaret Dolan, the new president and CEO of Launch Tennessee, Monique Villa, founder of Modern Capital, Brian Mays, Nashville's head of engineering at Eventbrite, Jim Horry, founder and CEO of Reviewbox, Andrew Goldner, co-founder of GrowthX, and Clint Smith, the co-founder of Emma, an email marketing software company that was recently acquired by Campaign Monitor. In this show, we talk about how tech companies can play up their city's strengths to attract talent, how startups located outside of Silicon Valley can raise capital more quickly, even if founders can't find the funds locally, and how to build a team culture like Eventbrite, like Reviewbox, like Emma, and like some of the great Nashville and Tennessee tech companies, so they can become a magnet for the right leaders and builders to grow their company. Here we are live from Nashville, Tennessee, the music city. Before I introduce her, I do want to say thank you to all the organizations, all the people, all of you for supporting this. Uh, without your sharing about what's going on here in the tech community, uh, without filling out the tech census and taking five, ten minutes to do that, we couldn't have compiled this data. And this is the first of many that we want to do. Uh, next year is going to be about deep diving into each of these markets. And uh, what we really want to do is help understand these tech companies. How do we help connect these companies to more capital? to more customers, to more of the right talent, um, getting the right people connected to the right company at the right time. So uh, I know I completely forgot the introduction part. I'm Matt Hunkler, the founder of CEO uh, and CEO of Powder Keg. Uh, started doing this out of a uh, passion project uh, 10 years ago on the side while I was working at technology startups uh, and driving my own into the ground uh, over painful years and uh, learning a lot along the way. And uh, tonight, I'm very honored to share the stage with some, some awesome people from this Tennessee tech community, uh, the first of whom was born here uh, in Tennessee, actually born in Memphis. Uh, she grew up in Canada, but found her way back, uh, went to school at University of Ten Tennessee for undergrad, uh, got her MBA at Vanderbilt. She is the new CEO of Launch Tennessee. Please help me welcome to the stage, Margaret Dolan. Margaret, we didn't have a fancy lavalier microphone okay, before, well, so I, I can do not I'll have to go handheld. 
that works. Uh, Margaret, can you talk to me a little bit about what brought you back to Tennessee and why you decided to stay here in Nashville? Sure. Um, some of it is I have a husband from New Jersey who could not be pried out of Nashville, Tennessee, no matter what the reason. Um, but no, we love Tennessee. It's a, it's a great place to live. We've raised our children here. And uh, they're now in Austin and San Francisco, which are also two great places for innovation and technology and wonderful places to visit. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, and this role at Launch Tennessee, uh, you've been on an amazing career uh, working with both corporates and nonprofits, uh, including United Way. Uh, why did you decide that this was the right time for a launch? Well, um, I was actually out of town when I saw that Charlie was leaving. and. As I read through um, the competencies that the search committee and the board was looking for, it just clicked on so many levels. I have been in a large family-owned enterprise that's headquartered here in Nashville, Ingram Industries. I was there for 23 years in various roles. Started off my career at KPMG, so I've got that finance accounting background. Uh, lived for a while um, with a subsidiary of Ascension Health, St. Thomas Health uh, Systems, which is headquartered here. And then was in a little baby startup that had an ETF traded on the New York Stock Exchange, and then that was sold last year. So um, I just thought that collection of experiences plus a real passion for helping people get ahead. Yeah. Um, and, and that's really what drove it is. The bottom line, as I look back on all the things that I'd done, I thought that I had something <laughs> that I could contribute to be able to help people be sustainable and make their way. Absolutely. Well, I'm really excited uh, for you to be here and really uh, grateful for the partnership with Launch Tennessee for the tech census. Uh, one of the most amazing statistics that came out of this report was that more than 30% of the startups in Tennessee grew more than 80% last year. Um, that's a huge portion of technology startups that are, are growing and scaling very, very quickly. What do you attribute that to here in Tennessee? Well, our economy's been growing. I mean, it really is booming. Our, um, our unemployment rate is scarily low right now. But our GDP is growing. We've got, if you look around in Nashville and other cities in Tennessee, it's, it's a sea of cranes. We say that's our state bird now. Um, so there's a lot of growth. There's a tremendous amount of opportunity. And, you know, you guys know you're in tech. You know that, that tech is driving that. And it's driving it at that, that hockey stick curve pace. Yeah, well, and the cost of living is, is fairly low. Out of all the tech censuses that we've done, uh, cost of living in Tennessee was actually the lowest. 58% uh, of the respondents had salaries, or sorry, had annual expenses less than $50,000 a year. Um, do you see that changing in the near future, considering uh, you've got as a state bird of the sea of cranes? <laughs> Uh, yes, the real estate people would tell you that, you know, rents are, are going up and we're about to get to capacity on some of them, but um, I don't know. I saw some other data that indicated that Tennessee was like the second least expensive state to live in, so um, that's verified by other data than just yours. Mm -hmm. Um, and right now we've got a nice delta between the average uh, family income and the average cost of living. So I think we'll be able to continue that pace for a while. And um, we are building extra inventory. Um, there's a lot of uh, co-working spaces that are coming online and apartments and so on. If we ever get transit figured out, 
<laughs> then, then we'll have a lot more capacity to have a lot more people here. I was wondering how long it was going to take before transit was brought up tonight. It was about <laughs> oh, sorry. Three, three minutes. No, no, it, it's been a recurring theme in a lot of our interviews and a lot of our conversations um, in Tennessee, but also in other areas. You know, Indianapolis is finally getting a rehaul, uh, small rehaul uh, on the transit side of things. You know, Benioff was tweeting at Elon Musk yesterday about putting Hyperloop in the Bay Area. You know, every tech hub is having the issue of, of transportation. Um, but can you maybe give a little bit more context of what's going on here in, in Nashville in particular? Well, in Nashville, um, how many of you live in Nashville? Okay, so you probably know the story, but we had um, a referendum on the ballot because in order to do transit, we had a big transit plan. Um, we had one that actually failed a couple of years ago in that it didn't get accepted. I would say it was somewhat of a victory, though, because everybody who was looking at that plan and deciding to reject it now had transit on their mind. Mm -hmm. They're sitting in traffic going, this might not be the solution, but we do have a problem. <laughs> and um, so then after that, we went through a, a very long community uh, building process to establish what people wanted in the way of transit. Um, I think the price tag got so high that it sort of frightened some folks off, it went to a referendum, it was not approved. But we do think that we can make some advances on it with some other uh, financing mechanisms that don't necessarily require another referendum. Well, you know, we talk about uh, transit being something that, uh, today we were on a, a podcast at the EC uh, talking about how the, a better transit system could provide more opportunity to more entrepreneurs uh, no matter where they live, uh, no matter what their socioeconomic status. Um, you know, at the same time, you look at sort of these rising, uh, the rising cost of living. Well, where do you see sort of the, the sweet spot for uh, not just Nashville, but Memphis, Chattanooga, Knoxville? What are some of the assets that they have? Um, because clearly with Amazon and Google's choice to pick New York and maybe D.C., um, I don't know, I haven't read that media in both the last and. 24 hours, both and. Um, you know, a lot of these heartland cities like Nashville and Indianapolis are getting looked over. Um, what are the assets that are going to attract that next wave of company? Or what are the assets that are going to create that next Amazon in Nashville or Memphis? Well, I think, I think there's lots of opportunity on many different fronts. Um, number one, we have an incredible quality of life here. We have moderate weather. We've got a great interstate system. We've got access to almost the entire country. We've got inland waterways for transportation. So. We have a lot of assets, like infrastructure kinds of assets. Um, one of the things Chattanooga has done really, really well is access to high-speed broadband. Absolutely. And I think that as we expand that across the state, then it's going to become less necessary to live in the urban centers, and we'll be able to take advan advantage of the amazing real estate that we have that is in our rural. Oh, very cool. Um, <laughs> So, um, and then when you layer on with that some other incentives that are being structured right now, like the Opportunity Zones. Are most of you guys familiar with the Opportunity Zones? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's a, um, the regs are not written yet, and my colleague Don is really our in-house expert on it at the moment. But um, it's actually a program by the federal government, and if you have a liquidity event, you've got a capital gain, You'd like to either defer the tax or eliminate it. If you make an investment in an opportunity zone, which are actually census tracts, so they're not 
They're not um, counties or cities. They're census tracts within geographic areas. There are over 170, I think, in mm -hmm. Tennessee, nine of which are in Davidson County. Oh, wow. Um, and so a lot of the regs that have been written so far are largely around real estate plays. But at Launch Tennessee, we think that there's an opportunity to look at locating operating businesses and new startups within those opportunity zones, which really offers a jolt to the bottom line economics for an investor. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, well, 63% of the respondents had actually raised capital. Uh, at the same time, a larger percentage said that they struggled raising capital. Uh, I know Launch Tennessee has some programs, John Lanahan uh, heading that up, uh, to help connect capital with the right companies at the right time. What are some of the other things that you're seeing statewide uh, beyond these opportunity zones that might provide a little acceleration of capital into companies? Well, one of the things that we think makes Tennessee um, a strong draw for that is that we do have this network of entrepreneur centers, incubators, colleges and universities that Launch Tennessee is pulling together so that we can try and build a critical mass of opportunities for capital. Um, I was telling somebody, and, and many of you in this room have heard it, it's kind of like when a, a college scout is out looking for players for their team, and they don't go where there's only one player that they can see. They need to go to a tournament or a competition or someplace that's a hotbed for you name it, that sport, so that they can see many athletes at the same time. Yeah. And I think it's the same way with startup companies that are seeking capital. Yep. People will come when we have enough for them to look at, and by becoming this network and enriching that network, and even looking regionally with our neighboring states, we're going to be able to build a lineup of companies that they'll be storming, storming across the country to see. Well, and it seems like there's a lot of collaboration happening across organizations, whether it's angel groups or VC funds uh, or groups like the Entrepreneur Center that are nonprofits and not taking equity at all. Um, th that sort of collaboration core value uh, was actually one of the top three core values here. Uh, there's also innovation and integrity. Uh, I think integrity is, is something that clearly uh, has been exhibited by a lot of the startups even out here at the event. Um, when you talk about like what they're building and, and how they go about building their business. Uh, but can you talk to me a little bit about innovation and what's happening maybe even at the corporate level um, from that, that standpoint? Sure. Um, a lot of the companies around in Nashville and really across the state um, are recognizing that solutions to their business problems may not be something that traditionally would come from within. So they don't necessarily have as expansive an R&D department, or they may be thinking about problems that really haven't even been born yet, and they're trying to anticipate them. Mm -hmm. And one of the most exciting ways for them to do that is to be able to stay connected with the startup community and expose what they anticipate to be problems that needed to be solved to that community, who can then come up with solutions that make sense. Um, and one of my last questions for you is, is just sort of around um, what we found from the tech census to be really important from a social issues standpoint. Um, and I know your background with United Way and some of the nonprofits that you've served with, um, that's been something you've had a lot of experience with. Um, the, the biggest social issues were health and well-being, quality education, and then diversity and equality. Um, what are some of the shining examples of some of those programs here, not just in Nashville, but statewide? Yeah. Um 
We in Tennessee have been paying a lot of attention to public school reform over the last decade, really, and part of that came out of a Chamber of Commerce study that showed that when we were telling our parents and our students that they were achieving proficiency at certain levels in public school, when they actually took the nationally normed test, they were last in the country. So 60 points below that national norm. Whereas Massachusetts, for example, was more like 40 points above. And so at that time, we decided to really sort of revamp our assessments and revamp our curriculum and stop, uh, sort of face the music. <laughs> stop. Some people would say stop lying to people, but. Uh, <laughs> but, um, and that was an important step because um, I have always thought, and, and my volunteer work has indicated that a quality education is really the key to long-term prosperity and economic growth, not just for individuals and families, but for the populace as a whole. And that's another reason why this role at Launch Tennessee was so exciting to me, because I think new business startup, is that's what's going to grow jobs, that's what's going to grow the economy, and it's not just going to be a really important lever for the person who creates that new company, but for all the people that they hire and the economic activity that they generate, and particularly if they're a company that's been created to sort of think about how to solve a problem, then that's going to make enormous gains across the entire population. Margaret, I'm so grateful for all of your perspective and sharing it here tonight and grateful for your leadership uh, here in Tennessee. Congrats on the new role, and, and thank you so much for your partnership. Thank you. Appreciate it. Let's give it up for Margaret. Uh, before I jump to uh, introduce my next guest, I want to give a huge shout out again to all of the partners. Um, Kelly School of Business, Alchemy, Studio Science uh, came all the way from Indianapolis, as did M Accounting. Uh, but again, Launch Tennessee, Center 615, Nashville Entrepreneur Center, Gigamunch, Epicenter. Uh, there's so many other great groups. Uh, Nashville Technology Council is here somewhere uh, as well. We had so many great organizations helping us. So can we just give a huge round of applause to all these great organizations that helped us out. All right, my next guest uh, is actually a recent transplant. Uh, just about a year ago, she moved from uh, the West Coast, uh, but not the Bay Area. She was actually uh, at Tom's, the shoe company, uh, in Santa Monica, and she is now here uh, and is an investor uh, through both Mucker Capital and is also the founder of Modern Capital. Please help me welcome to the stage Monique Villa. You can choose either seat. Choose wisely. Safe choice. Safe choice. It spins. It's been fun. Um, Hi. Nice Hi. to see you. Nice to see you, too. Monique, why did you come here? Why did you come to Nashville? So my first visit to Nashville was last May. Uh, my husband's a songwriter. I always wait for people to go, ah, okay. <laughs> ah. Um, so I, I had asked him how things were going in L.A. I'm an L.A. native. I'm from Long Beach. And he said, fine, but I'd actually really like to check out Nashville. He'd been here quite a bit for work. And no surprise, after living here for a year, he would visit for work and people would sort of ask him, well, are you passing through or are you actually living here? And he's like, I'm just visiting for a few days. And they're like, ah, okay. 
Um, and so then it's like, I really sort of want to put down real roots in Nashville. So he wanted to see if I liked it, and I ended up loving it very quickly. What and do you then, love about it? It just felt good. Um, the energy, the people that I was meeting, it's beautiful. Uh, it's, I think, some of the most beautiful you know, city and countryside I've seen. And it felt like home. And so we ended up moving here last October. What was your initial uh, takeaway from the tech and innovation community when you got here? So I was blown away. So I started meeting people really quickly. Uh, it's actually a funny story for the Hashtel team in the audience. Uh, my first day here was a Saturday. I moved at night, a uh, one-way ticket. And then Sunday, I went to a reception in the backyard of Hashed Health CEO John Bass, uh, not knowing a single person, including John. I received an invite by accident somewhere, and I showed up and walked in the backyard and said, hi, I moved here yesterday, nice to meet you. <laughs> and everyone was so incredibly nice, but then very quickly it was clear how, like, how strong the caliber of company was um, and the operating talent and everything else. Uh, so that was, not at all mistakable. What are, what are some of the core industries you see like really thriving here? Yeah, so I think healthcare is definitely the, the big anchor. Uh, one industry, especially looking at the report um, that I like to be controversial about is I think there's a big opportunity for a consumer here. I believe that the population density combined with the really strong small business community is going to see some really great uh, venture-backed companies in the long haul. Um, and I believe that the talent is here and will continue to be here and move here um, from sort of that consumer marketing background. This is definitely a magnet for that. Cool. That'll be interesting to watch that emerge maybe between now and the next tech census. Uh, you mentioned that you've been elsewhere in the state, Memphis, Chattanooga, Knoxville as well. What do you see as the um, differences between those communities and in terms of investment opportunities? Yeah, so one of my favorite discoveries when I moved here was that there are three Tennessees, west, middle, and east, um, which I can totally appreciate because Long Beach disassociated itself with L.A. my entire life. Um, but I'd say that in terms of core competencies, every city is entirely unique. And so because of that, I think the community can really rally around itself and also get in the car and visit the other communities. Um, but, you know, Memphis, I think your report did a really nice job of articulating the strengths. Um, you know, Memphis, I've spent at least... I don't know how many days at this point, but I've been back about five or six times wow. um, and have met with companies and ecosystem builders there and investors. And I think that Memphis is doing something really important centered around the DNA of the city and growing that really organically and making sure that there's uh, support all around the table for companies and people who decide that they want to do this entirely ir irrational thing of starting a business. Um, like you should have a support group around you because that's an impossible undertaking. Um, so, you know, I think that's sort of how I think about Memphis is that they're really true to the DNA. Um, another one is Chattanooga, of course. There's, yeah. there's such a close-knit community and some phenomenal leadership, and I'm very excited to continue spending time there. 
Um, you know, Knoxville, I've spent the least amount of time, but I visited for the first time in the last couple months. And I just love spending time in the downtown area. And there's this really nice collegial like uh, atmosphere. And then, of course, Oak Ridge being there, there's, there's some substantial research being done. Can you maybe talk a little bit about Oak Ridge National Labs? Yeah, so I haven't, I haven't spent time with them meaningfully to be a spokesperson, but I think there, it's non-negotiable. If, if you're going to be building businesses, you need to have a certain level of expertise, and having a magnet like Oak Ridge is meaningful. People who are moving to Knoxville for Oak Ridge and also people who have been there for a very long time, um, really feeding into that community and having a place to go. Um, I'm very excited to see what continues to come out of there. Yeah, me too. Uh, there was a very cool Oak Ridge National Labs pitch competition at the 3686 conference this year. I uh, had, had the privilege to hear some of those entrepreneurs. It's cool to see what they're putting out. Um, let's talk Series A, because this seems to be a pain point, not just in Tennessee, but nationally uh, for startups uh, that aren't in the Bay Area or New York or Boston. Um, 23% of the startups surveyed had raised a Series A or beyond. Um, where is that Series A capital coming from in Tennessee? Is it coming from outside of Tennessee? Um, can you maybe give us a little bit of a snapshot of what you're hearing on the streets? Yeah, so I think, and this applies to every stage, but founders need many, many options. So it's, it's I don't think it's adequate to say, oh, this one person will write that check for you. Um, you're going to have hundreds of conversations. And I, I mean, same thing for us. Like I see, or at least the firm sees nearly a thousand companies a year and we're going to write 25 checks ish. Um, so because of that, we also have to see many, many people and working seven days a week is part of that. But I think for companies specifically, it's either going to be right timing, right connection, right metrics, and right story um, only so many times. And so if you are in a sector that has local investors that understand what you're setting out to do and market's timing's right and that you you know, aren't doing something that's necessarily been done a million other times and failed and, and people start to lose interest, that's, that's a very real thing. Um, you know, if you can overcome the odds, you'll find a great capital investor and, and, a, and a capital partner in that. But I don't think it's going to be specific to who happens to be down the street. It's, it's going to be, it's much more an art than a science in that capacity. Just making sure you've got a broad, maybe even national or global pool of potential investors when you're talking Series A. Yeah, and I think having that right chemistry of who's going to behave really well in the good times and the bad times for the company is critical. Yeah. And there has to be some, you know, funnel, right? Like there's definitely a funnel that applies if you're an entrepreneur setting out to fundraise. Where's the big opportunity for investors in Tennessee? Well, I'm here in Nashville and I'm a big fan. Um, I think it's gonna be all over the state. I think from a macro level, we're seeing this big shift where Talent is becoming the stronger of the magnets between capital and talent. Yep. So I think traditionally talent has followed capital and now we're seeing capital follow talent. And so for that reason, I think people are going to be building companies everywhere. 
and that includes all over the state. Um, you know, it's no mistake that I visited all four cities in Tennessee and didn't didn't get comfortable in my house in in Nashville. So, um, you know, I think we're going to see a big uptick combining both the institutional knowledge that's here and the new sort of uh, population that's moving in and getting settled, that the next five years is going to be meaningful. I'm really looking forward to seeing how it continues to evolve and excited to see who else you invest in here in Nashville and across the state. Yes. <laughs> I was just going to see if you were going like, to te like tease some companies that, that might be coming down the pipe. Um, I uh, can't keep your, keep your lips sealed, but yes. there are a few that will be announced soon. Cool. Well, we will stay tuned, and I just want to say thank you so much for sharing what you've seen across the state. And then, as a newcomer here in Nashville, uh, thanks for sharing sort of like your fresh perspective on what's going on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Let's give it up for the news. Thank you so much. You're awesome. Thank you. All right. Uh, before I bring our next guest to the stage, uh, who is from, let's just leave the music off. Um, before I bring our next guest to the stage, I do want to give a huge shout out to a partner of ours that's been with us since the very beginning. Uh, they literally helped us pick our name, Powder Keg. They helped us create our brand identity. They helped create brand identities for uh, many of the technology companies in Indiana, but also nationally and right here in Nashville. So I just want to give a huge shout out to Studio Science. Chris Belly came all the way from Indianapolis to be here with us. Chris, where are you, man? Somewhere? Way in the back. He's, he's in one of those lounge chairs back. Let's give it up for Chris and Studio Science. If you want to talk brand, he, he is the guy to talk to. He is an Australia transplant living in the Midwest and uh, travels with us uh, to Denver, to Nashville, to everywhere. And it's great to have him here tonight. So thank you. Um, next up. I want, to, uh, I want to read this uh, bio to you because this is actually my first lengthy conversation with him. Uh, we'll be here live in front of you. So I'm very excited. I have many, many questions for him. Uh, but our next guest started his career on the West Coast, working at several large companies like Yahoo, uh, before he came to Nashville in 2014. Uh, he has grown an engineering team 10 times over the last four years and supports the local community through numerous things at his role uh, at Eventbrite. He works with Belmont, MTSU, Nashville Software School, Girls Who Code uh, to help recruit that talent and retain it here in Nashville. He is the head of engineering in Nashville at Eventbrite. Please help me welcome Brian Mays. <laughs> Brian, I really owe you one because uh, I know you don't really know me that well. Uh, but we love Eventbrite. We do all of our events on Eventbrite. Uh, we love what you guys are building over there, and uh, it's so cool to talk to you as a, the technologist here in Nashville. It's good to be here. Thank you for having me. What brought you to Nashville? How, how did you make that move from the West Coast to Middle America? So I met a Southern girl um, and married her and ended up, uh, we were looking for a place to be outside the Bay Area. We just wanted to explore something new. Our life was changing. We were having my son. Uh, we were pregnant with my daughter. We were just kind of like, where should we go? Um, and we had family here, and we'd been looking. Denver was another option. Yep. Austin was an option. Atlanta was an option. And we settled, or not settled, we decided to come here. Yeah. Uh, settled in the sense like settlers. 
Uh, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Put down Not your pitchforks. Like, oh yeah, Nashville. Yeah. No, I, I hear uh, you. What, what made it click for you? Why, why were you like, oh yeah, Nashville's it? I don't know that we knew what we were getting into when we came here. Um, I was with a startup at the time. Um, we kind of knew we had a little bit of a bridge that we just wanted to be here. Uh, it was just kind of a new place. Um, and both my wife and I settled into what we feel like is a really great life, a really great place. Um, so we're pretty happy. Awesome. Well, uh, diving right into the talent side of things, uh, one of the stats from the Tech Census report is that 80% of talent uh, at working at these startups is actually um, went to school outside of Tennessee. And so that means either they never lived in Tennessee in the first place or they at least went off to school and decided to come back. Um, that's the largest set of people that have decided to come back to a, a state or come into a state out of all of our censuses. Is that a trend that you're seeing at Eventbrite? And where are you seeing uh, a lot of these universities? Are there any like universities outside of the state in particular that are sending a lot of talent here? Um, I'd say, like, as I moved here, one thing that was surprising to me is I'd meet people and I'd be like, hey, how are you? And they're like, I'm so-and-so. And they'd say, I'm from out of state. And it kind of became like a thing, like meeting a Nashville native was like a real big surprise. Yeah. Um, I think we have like a, you know, a pretty big community that's moved in for the opportunity that's here. Yeah. So that might reflect some of that stat. Absolutely. Um, I think for Eventbrite, um, we've hired pretty locally. Now, how those people ended up being here, um, you know, they could have come from wherever. Uh, you mentioned the Nashville Software School. I think there's a lot of people doing career changes, things like that. So we find people there, kind of junior in their career. Um, but yeah, we've, we've been really impressed with the tech talent that's been here, uh, kind of regardless of where they've originated from. It's been an amazing resource for the company and we're looking to continue to invest. What are some of the things you've learned as you've grown your team here? You know, uh, I mentioned 10 times you've grown your team here. Uh, what have you learned that it takes for a technology company to recruit and retain tech talent in Nashville? I think uh, there's probably a lot of ways to do it. Yep. Uh, we have our way that sure. we really like. Uh, That's what I want. I want your secret <laughs> yeah, sauce. The secret sauce. Yeah. I don't know that it's all that secret. I see people doing it quite a bit. Yeah. Um, we feel like engaging with the community is a really important solution to that. Um, we have invested, it's kind of one of the reasons I took the role here. Yeah. Um, there was things where I could work remote, that kind of deal. Um, that was an option and I was like, hey, I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of the community and I felt like Eventbrite as a company um, was a place that wanted to invest in the community. And I think that's been a huge asset to us, that relationship building, kind of building our brand within the community. Um, building those relationships with the engineers. Like talent is this weird combination of like, do I have the money to hire someone? Is that person like ready to get a new job? You know, like, and you have to like match those two things up at the same time, it's not real easy. So yeah. you kind of have to start priming that pump and if you're always building that, that queue back up, uh, you're always gonna be behind. So we've really invested in trying to meet people, uh, build our brand locally um, and you know, give back as much as we are getting back from the community. That's a cool philosophy and something I've definitely heard about Eventbrite from elsewhere in the community. Uh, so it seems like you're doing a great job. Yeah. Um, in, in terms of the, the talent that you are recruiting, is there anywhere where there's like more of a gap? Is it like the early talent and, and sort of just getting into technology? Is it more sort of like the mid-level manager or the senior talent? Or is it kind of uh, really across the board 
pretty easy for you to find the talent you're looking for. I mean, I think talent is always a challenge for everybody. I don't know that I'd call it easy. Yep. We've, we've really felt like it's been a benefit to us to be here, like the quality of the talent. Um, I was hiring a lot in the Bay Area back in a previous life uh, and seeing kind of the organic pipeline that we're seeing sometimes because of that brand building effort that we've done uh, has been uh, we're, we're really impressed. The retention numbers are amazing for us. Finding, I guess, there's probably a little bit more junior talent in the pipeline. Sure. And I think you, the, if I recall, the report reflected some of that. Mm -hmm. uh, people talk about some of the challenges around like senior talent in town. Um, I think it's there. Um, sometimes people get pretty set and happy with where they are, and so sometimes making that uh, decide to move or making those people like, like where, when do they want to go? That passive talent is hard to get at, so you have to do that kind of like building to get there. As a startup, I think that's a little bit more challenging because like you need it like now. Um, so as much as you can, I think you need to be out there. I've, I've worked with, or I've seen, uh, I'll use an example, High Robotics. They're a startup that's in town here. Yeah. Um, I've met them out at an event. I think you know they just hired early senior engineer from Asherian and they, I believe, met that person out in the community. I think it's a really, you know, great way to to make that happen and find that senior talent that's kind of like, you know, maybe here but not moving as much. Well, I'd love to um, bring up a someone from the startup world to join us, and maybe we can get that those two different perspectives, sort of from the larger technology company and and also the startup side. We actually have a founder of a company called Reviewbox, which is focused on helping monitor. Amazon products um, for, for people that have products on the Amazon marketplace. Um, he's building an awesome team here right in, Na in Nashville. Uh, please help me welcome the founder and CEO, Jim Horry. And Jim, I think I said you're based in Nashville. Is, is that true? No, we're in Nashville. That's what I thought. I, I, the moment I said it, I was like, yeah. that's not right. We're on the east side. Yeah. To, I like middle Tennessee, though. So, so, it's okay. So tell me about, tell me about Knoxville. Yeah, so and, not to And you got, you got to grab that mic because we've actually got a, probably a, got a few it. hundred people watching. So on. Um, for the geographically uh, uh, disinclined, Knoxville is on the eastern side of the state, closer <laughs> to the Smokies. It's okay. You're not from Tennessee. You might not understand. But um, yeah, so Knoxville is a, a smaller city than, than Nashville. I think we're the third largest city you know, behind Nashville and Memphis. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, we have our own thing going on. It's pretty different, I think, the different regions in Tennessee, the different cities in Tennessee, but yeah, that's where we are. Well, and one of the things that the tech census pointed out was that the number one reason people work for a technology company is the company culture. Yeah. And um, that's probably the case, especially at startups, where maybe you can't have the most competitive salary. Right. right. Um, tell me what you do at Reviewbox from a culture standpoint that's helped attract the, the right talent for you in Knoxville. Yeah, that's a really, really great question because, yeah, we can't compensate our employees as much as they deserve, right? And because we're a small startup, we're a scrappy startup, but we have to do what we have to do mm -hmm. to survive and to grow and to serve our customers. And I think culture is a large part of that. And um, honestly, I think when people are coming to us and they're asking me about our company and, and our culture, they're really try just trying to get a gist of, hey, is this a company I want to work for? Is this a company that I can believe in? Is this a product that I can believe in? Um, is this a company where I can grow, right? Because uh, at the end of the day, we're a small company and, you know, 
the, my perspective is, hey, we're willing to take a risk on you if you're willing to take a risk on us. Because it is risky. Like, you have a lot of smart, talented people. It's like, well, why do I choose to work for a five-person, 10-person, 15-person company when I have a lot of different opportunities, right? And I think a large part of that is simply addressing the fact that, hey, the with a lot of opportunity, there's a lot of risk involved, too. And so let's find a really good advantage. That's how we approach it. What, what are some of the, the um, things in terms of uh, onboarding team members, you know, making sure people actually fit into that culture and get ramped up that, that you're currently doing. Yeah. I, I know uh, most startups don't have like a fully vetted onboarding yeah. process. We don't have a manual. Yeah. That's FYI. Yeah. Right? Um, that, yeah so, that's not abnormal. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, perhaps to give an example, when we uh, were hiring and onboarding our success manager, the person leading our success team, um, it was a pretty ad hoc process, but at the end of the day, we were, you know, I was looking for someone that could fit into the team, but moreover could think independently about their role. Mm. Uh, so for them, it was like, hey, if you understand the general scope of your job and our company and who our customers are, I want you to bring some independent thought into the process to say, hey, I understand what we're trying to do. I'm going to own this piece. And yeah, we don't have all the rules laid out. And the reason we don't have those laid out is because this is why we're hiring you, to help us figure this out, right? And so if that's what you're expecting from us, that's not going to be a great fit. But hey, if you want to write those rules or help us develop those rules and help develop that process as we grow, then maybe this is going to be a good fit. You don't sugarcoat it. Yeah, no, you can't sugarcoat it, right? Because there are only six of us, right? You know, this is, this is it, man. This is literally everything. Yeah. yeah, this is everything. Yeah, I like it. Brian, what have you learned in scaling uh, Eventbrite? What's the culture like there? And, and what are the, the, some of the unique things that Eventbrite does uh, to attract and retain the right culture fit? So uh, <clears throat> luckily for Nashville Eventbrite, uh, we inherited uh, our founder and CEO, Julie Hart's people and culture are a really key thing to her. Um, and she gave us kind of like the great raw material to work and start from. Um, and, oh, I guess it's not just her, it's like the whole company uh, that's working with her. Um, but um, I think, you know, here in Nashville, we've created something that's kind of a blend of that kind of traditional Silicon Valley company. It's kind of been like, it's a little bit table stakes there now. Like people are kind of all that style, like the perks and all that stuff. Here, that was something new that we had. We wanted to make it something kind of different. Uh, it wasn't, I guess it wasn't new. There's like, but it's less likely to be here. Um, so as a company, when we came in, we you know created, I think, something new that's a blend of that and kind of like the Southern charm and Southern hospitality. Um, people, when they come from other offices to visit the Nashville office, talk about how it feels like really open, inclusive, productive, um, and welcoming, and I think these are all things that we, you know, as founders, or I guess like the founders in the room, or startups or companies, they want to like cultivate that, right? Because yeah. that creates a great workplace that creates high engagement, retention, all those things that you want to do, right? Yeah. Um, so that's, I think, our culture um, that we've built here. And uh, last question for you is, what's your biggest hope that you see uh, for Nashville here in, in the coming years? in terms of how it continues to evolve as a tech community. And spoiler alert, you're going to have the same question for Knoxville uh, here in a minute. Um, one thing that I would love to see is uh, 
technical founders happening more. Um, so, you know, people from a technical background founding companies. Yeah. I think we have some amazing technical talent, like bridging that gap to kind of like become entrepreneurs and take that risk. Um, I think it would be something that would be awesome. And, you know, however, we're, we have some people in the office that are doing things, um, like uh, trying to help cultivate that. So yeah. I think that would be an awesome thing to see. I agree. That would be very awesome to see. Jim, how about you? What, what's your greatest hope for the Knoxville tech community here in the coming years? Yeah, I think um, in many similar ways, I want more entrepreneurs, more tech entrepreneurs. And so to give you context, I moved to Knoxville because of Oak Ridge National Lab. That was why I moved there, because I was a research staff there for many years. And so my greatest single wish for Knoxville, um, to be blunt, is for more people to leave Oak Ridge National Lab and to start companies. I want them to be able to take that risk. I want them to do it. And so as much as I love the lab and as much as I love everything that they do, I want more people to leave there, like now. <laughs> That's what I want. I love it. Let's give it up for both Jim and Brian. Thank you both so much. This is great. I'll grab the mic from you. That way it free you up. All right. We've got two more guests uh, and some really interesting topics here. Uh, and before we dive in, I just want to give a huge shout out to someone who is a Tennessee native. Uh, we did snag him from you, uh, and he lives in Indianapolis now. He is the dean of the Kelly School of Business at IUPUI. Uh, and we are so grateful to have him here in the audience this evening. Uh, the Kelly School of Business has been a partner in all of our tech censuses, helping make sure uh, we do things in the right way. We're asking the right questions. We're analyzing that in the best possible way. We literally have two PhDs uh, from the Kelly School helping us crunch this data. Uh, and they're doing some really interesting things with it. Uh, always very innovative. So I'm a Kelly alum, if you couldn't tell by how I'm raving about the Kelly School of Business. Uh, but I, I absolutely love the fact that they move fast like a startup. And some of their online programming, particularly in the online MBA space, um, is moving at such a rapid clip that they're able to keep up with some of those tech trends. I don't know why I'm using two microphones. Um, thanks, Casey. Uh, I absolutely uh, lo love Kelly School of Business, so just wanted to give them a huge shout out. And Phil, if you don't mind raising your hand, talk, talk to this uh, Tennessean turned Hoosier. And thank you, Phil. Very, very much appreciated. Uh, our next guest, uh, I've known actually for a couple of years now. He was at one of our first pitch events when we did an event here in Nashville. Uh, he gave great feedback. He beat up my pitch deck when we went to look to raise capital and gave some really, really great feedback. He works with a lot of uh, large companies, so uh, companies like, like Nissan, Bridgestone, uh, based here in uh, Nashville. And He's been in the Bay Area. He's been in New York City. Uh, he calls Nashville home now. Please help me welcome the founding partner of GrowthX, Mr. Andrew Goldner. Andrew, let's talk corporate innovation. Okay. This is your let's jam. Let's do it. Um, can you first tell me a little bit about what GrowthX does and why you chose to do this? Growth, as you mentioned, we're based in Silicon Valley. We're a partnership there. Um, and we work with countries and companies and help them commercialize innovation. We do it through capital, talent, and know-how. So we started out as a venture capital fund, both writing checks at the seed stage and also helping. Silicon Valley calls it product market fit. The rest of the world has always called it commercialization. Um, but that's always been our jam. That's what we do well. Um, and as we started doing it for early stage companies, 
later stage companies leaned in and said, how can you help us? Um, and then as the world goes through this transformation, um, and for some nations around the world especially, it's from uh, an agricultural, natural resource-based economy to an innovation economy, they leaned in and started asking for our help as well. And so I'm actually heading to Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia on Saturday as we launch GrowthX there to work with them to help transition their economy to the innovation economy. That's so cool. Who are some of the, the larger organizations here in Nashville trying to figure this out? How to move well, a little bit more trying like to figure it out. Yeah, I sure. Mean, the reality is, it's, and it's true, I mean, it's changed. Um, this is no longer about clearing out a room of desks and cubicles and putting some bean bags and a foosball table and saying you've got a startup culture. I mean, that, the innovation theater has been around for a while. Um, but the reality is, especially among public corporations that are getting pressure from the shareholders and pressure from the board to get serious about this, nobody wants to end up the yellow cab in the age of Uber. Um, and so the, the companies are really trying to figure this out. The reality is that they're just not set up to commercialize innovation well. Um, they're set to do R&D well. Uh, they have some great builders and open innovation with startups can certainly help. But where they're failing, uh, interestingly enough, is the same place that startups are failing. You know, we got involved in this business in the first place because we thought it was such a tragedy uh, that innovation was dying of a curable disease. Um, and it's the, it is the number one reason why innovation dies. And it's over 90% of corporate innovation and only about 80% of startup innovation. And it's because people tinker in a laboratory too long and don't face the market and solve people's needs. Um, and so that really is where the problems were occurring. Um, for a corporation as different than a startup, um, you know, they, they started as a startup. Right, yeah. But over time, as they grew in scale, and Eventbrite has seen this for certain, and others who are growing larger are seeing that you necessarily need processes and systems um, and behaviors um, that are more relevant to the size and the stage of your company. The mitigation of risk takes on a, a whole different portfolio feel than a startup. And so naturally, you begin organizing around incremental revenue growth off of mature products and mature markets. And when you take that and layer it on top of innovation, you suffocate it to death. And that's exactly what's happening. So I, I think everybody's looking at it and trying to get serious about it yeah. um, and, and figure it out. Well, let's talk about startups and how yeah. they're figuring out how to work with those bigger companies. Um, yeah. One of the things we found out from the Tech Census report is that uh, most startups said it was actually easier to get corporate partnerships in Tennessee than it is to get seed capital. Um, do you know why that might be and, and what would your advice be to a startup that is trying to maybe get some revenue from landing a big deal with a big corporate here in, in Nashville or anywhere in Tennessee? I mean, I think there's a couple of reasons. I mean, first I'd give a shout out to Launch Tennessee here who yeah. are doing it intentionally. You know, part of what they're doing is actually trying to make those connections and make them in a real way. So I happen to think that's one of the main reasons it's happening. Um, listen, you know, maybe the the lack of traditional early stage funding also plays into that. Um, you know, for good or for bad, the, the, the you know the the ego in Silicon Valley, um, you know, draws from the, an abundance of capital. There, there's a, a significant amount of hubris there 
and there's an expectation among founders that because they're founders, they raise venture, and there's a lot of venture there, and the venture is vying for it and trying to write bigger checks because you know the, the funds are a lot bigger. And it sounds boring, but that is a lot of what's driving it. And so there is this narrative in Silicon Valley uh, that has been permeated by traditional venture capitalists that the last thing you want to do as a startup is take money from a corporation. And the reality is that historically that has by and large been the case because the corporations didn't understand the asset class and they weren't looking for building long, large value. The decisions they were making and what they were doing were not really great for other types of investors. And I think the fact that there's not as much of that here, it's just available, that narrative isn't quite as, uh, as, as lasting and so the relationships are still forming. What do you think a startup needs to do in order to navigate that, whether it's corporate VC or it's landing a deal with a Bridgestone or a Nissan or a Shurian? I mean, I, listen, we, like everything at GrowthX, we think about seeking fit. Yeah. Um, you you want to build long-term, healthy, sustainable relationships with everything and every person in your life, including your funders, your founders, etc. cetera. Um, and so it's not so much what a a startup should do to, to be appealing to a company or, frankly, a VC. Um, it's about just being open and honest about what's your priority, what kind of company you're trying to build and how you're trying to build that company and what's important and essential to you as a founder in a team and then finding fit with a company that understands that, respects it and is naturally good with that. Um, you know, there is a lot, you know, if you're looking to raise your ego, sure, go, go try to put a brand on your cap table. But if you really want to be smart about how to raise, how to build a company with enduring value, make sure that that company understands how to uh, deploy strategic help to startups without suffocating them, because that does happen at an alarming rate. How does that happen? Well, again, I mean, you know, the, the cycle times inside of corporations, you know, you know, can kill a startup. The mistakes that corporations make around innovation don't get managers even slapped on the wrist. Risk and, and they put startups out of business. And so there's a, there's a handful of ways that happens, and it's, it's a death by a thousand cuts, right? The boiling frog. They don't just come in and, and do it, and it's not intentional, uh, but you get sucked in slowly. And what corporations are beginning to realize, they need to be able to prove real strategic value in order to win the opportunity with the startup. And that really should be the mindset. The corporation should be grateful for meeting the founder and leaning in to understand how they can be helpful and earn the opportunity to invest if, in fact, investing should be part of that relationship. And that's really what the founders should be looking for. So if the founder hasn't first decided as a team what is important to them right now and why strategically beyond brand and ego, it would be great to have X logo involved, um, then how do you know that they're actually going to be able to do that? And, you know, there shouldn't be the power dynamic. There should be no power dynamic between funder and founder. Um, this notion that VCs need to be founder friendly is complete nonsense because it presumes something that we just don't accept in the first place. And the same thing between corporations and startups. Uh, the startups should feel, the founder should feel uh, necessary and welcome to ask tough questions about the corporation and how they do business with startups and who are some of the startups they've worked with and can we talk to some of those founders and don't be shy about asking those questions. Any corporation that won't ask those, answer those questions 
be polite in the conversation and never talk to them again. <laughs> I love how you tell it like it is. Uh, last question for you, Andrew. What's your biggest hope for this tech community here in Nashville and Tennessee in the next couple of years? What do you hope to see more of or, or less of? I mean, I'd like to see us diversify our innovation basket beyond health tech. Not taking a knock at health tech whatsoever. I mean, it, it, it fuels the economy. It's important, and what's being done here is, is revolutionary. But I think for this economy, um, for creating more economic security for more people, for fueling prosperity, for creating jobs, for helping Tennessee drive into the innovation economy as winners, we've got to diversify what's happening in Nashville um, beyond uh, health technology. And I think there are plenty of great founders, some of them are here tonight doing that. And so, you know, that is certainly, that is certainly my hope. And my hope is also that we reskill and upskill the workforce to have the talent necessary to win in the innovation economy. And coding is important, but it's not just coding. Somebody has to get that innovation into the hands of customers. Yeah. And that's not something that's being taught very widely. Um, and as the technology continues to get cheaper, and easier to deploy, and more technology talent is available, their true differentiation and therefore the risk um, is making sure you have talent that understands market development, not just product development. Andrew, thank you so much for your leadership and for your insight. You're awesome. All right, we are reaching our last segment of the evening. Uh, and before I introduce our, our final guest, I do want to give another shout out to another uh, Indianapolis company that has come down, but serves companies around the country. They're a partner of ours. Um, they helped us create our financial model that we just completed our first raise uh, of seed funding uh, with. They help so many technology companies. It's because their founding team started by serving high growth technology companies um, with uh, Scott Jones, the inventor of voicemail, who lesser known uh, serial entrepreneur, but is based in uh, central Indiana, uh, has been an amazing figure there. Uh, worked with Tom Gabbert, the founder of this group, M Accounting. Uh, and they've been awesome partners of ours. They helped so many tech companies within this network. And so just wanted to give a huge shout out. Donna drove all the way down from Indianapolis. So just wanted to give a huge shout out to Donna and M Accounting for being here. All right, my next guest, um, we were fortunate enough to meet uh, through a mutual friend, uh, Jay Bear, who is a serial entrepreneur, an angel investor, uh, and a mentor of mine. Uh, he was on the Powder Keg Igniting Startups podcast, episode 29, uh, back when he was still uh, working in his full-time role as the founder and CEO of Emma, which was recently acquired by Campaign Monitor. Uh, he has continued to stay engaged with the ecosystem here in the community as an advisor, investor. Uh, please help me welcome to the stage, Mr. Clint Smith. I missed the walk-up music. <laughs> oh, sorry, man. Yeah. I could sing a little tune if you want. <laughs> I'd like that. I think the audience would like that. A I lot. don't think they would. Let's <laughs> let the audience. You play. haven't heard me sing, Clint. <laughs> Fair enough. So, Clint, you're originally from Albany, New York. Albany, Georgia, the other Albany. Oh, you said or Albany. Actually, Albany, New like... York is often known as the other Albany. All right. 
It is on a similar water tributary, but it's in. <laughs> I was so close. That's about as far as the uh, comparison goes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. My apologies. Yeah, All yeah, the, so you so I can, I can understand how the accent was a little bit misleading. <laughs> yeah. It was a little misleading. Yeah. How did you end up in uh, Nashville? Uh, I came to Vanderbilt as an undergrad. I felt like I had to explore the world and at least get one state away, uh, the adventurous spirit that I was. Yes, very adventurous. Um, well, you are adventurous. You're, you're an entrepreneur, and uh, you set out on this bold mission with Emma uh, over a decade ago, and uh, you built an incredible business. You sold it last year. Tell me about uh, what it was like starting uh, Emma, and, and take me back there. What was the year? How did you come up with the idea? Uh, set the scene for me. It was like 15 years ago, so I can sort of use my old man voice. I mean, that was. Yeah, there you go. They were the worst of times. Uphill both ways. That's right. It was uphill snow. both ways to and from our startup every day. Um, <laughs> well, well, it I was can, in some senses, right? <laughs> exactly, right? Um, I, I can tell you there weren't things like an entrepreneur center and there weren't things like a center 615, and fewer people would have shown up to an event like this, like meeting like three. Um, <laughs> And so it did feel like uh, we were sort of settlers right, in, the, uh, in the entrepreneurial world. And frankly, we only started the business um, because it was either that or go get real jobs um, after a prior startup didn't quite take off, someone else's. And, um, and so we said, well, sort of, why not? And we were um, you know, uh, old enough to have just enough confidence to try something, but, but also young enough to not have a ton of financial responsibilities at home. So we felt like it was a good time. Uh, we started started working on idea, the idea and eventually settled on Emma, and we yeah. felt like that was the email marketing space, which was a little bit new at that point. Uh, was a was an industry where there were some competitors, but we just didn't feel like anybody had done a really nice job of marrying up, you know, really solidly, you know, built and, and maybe more importantly designed product and product experience with um, what we wanted to bring to it, which was really a holistic brand experience. Um, and over time, for us and for me personally, that really became about. Um, building an external uh, brand um, and an internal culture that, that matched. And that was sort of where my, I ultimately found my sort of interest and passion. Yeah, and, and you started it uh, in a more bootstrappy kind of way. You, you know, Andrew was talking previously about in the Valley how it's all kind of built around venture and that whole model is to build a company to go get venture uh, and play to that ego. You went kind of a different route. Why, why did you go a different direction? Well, you know, a couple of things. I don't think we even knew what the word venture meant. Um, <laughs> I figured it out a couple of years ago. Um, took a while. But, uh, but no, a couple of things, right? We were uh, first-time entrepreneurs, and, and so we, and we had seen, you know, what could happen to a lot of startups. I mean, you know, still, right, that they don't always work. In fact, a lot of them, a lot of them do fail. Um, and so we wanted to, to bear as much of the risk as possible, right? And so that meant really waiting to take other people's money um, until we felt confident about that, right? And if we could bear, bear the risk, and if it worked, great. If it didn't work, it was mostly on us, and maybe we'd live in vans down by the river, but they were our vans, right? <laughs> and everyone else could stay in their, in their company homes. Um, and so that really was sort of part of the, the driving motivation, and we were fortunate enough that um, SunTrust Bank basically gave us a loan and a line of credit and said, why don't you start here? Um, and at the very least, we can help you guys get far enough down the road where you maybe have a working product, um, you have this crazy thing called paying customers, um, and if you do go raise money, you'll have a little bit more know-how, a little bit more um, leverage, um, and just a little bit more experience. And that became enough startup capital um, to essentially, you know, power us through the hump, you know, kind of over that initial hump. And we just remained an independent, 
um, you know, the profitable company for, for many years after that. So that was a, a little Unheard bit of. unusual. It was, it was a rarity. Um, yeah. but, but there also, I mean, we, we really didn't have a, have a lot of avenues to pursue. Um, we prepared to, to go after some friends and family angel money. Um, and then the bank stepped in and that became sort of our first pass. Yeah. Uh, at that. Yeah. What do you, what do you like about what you're seeing now in the, the funding angel or venture community here in Nashville? Uh, well, there's certainly a lot, a lot more of it, and I love the comment earlier that you know, you know, there should be a variety, right, of, of people, of, of options, of timing. Um, it shouldn't be one flavor or one size fits all, and it, it really should be a lot about what um, the founders and the companies and the teams want, um, near term and long term. It should fit that. Um, you know, one interesting thing, you know, um, the, the stat about all the all the good growth of the startups and how well this area is doing. Um, you know, I would argue that part of the the challenge of there being, and Andrew touched on this last, um, a, a little bit of a lack of capital. There, there, there can be spots where companies are having to struggle to find it or just have to work really hard to find it, which I think is fair. Um, the flip side is the companies that find their way to resourcing, whatever flavor they've picked, um, are probably going to be the stronger companies um, you know, for it because they've made it through that filter, that screening process. They've had to be scrappier. Um, they've had to find a way. Right, which is you know what you want, and the word grit you know showed up in the sure did in, in the report, right? And we loved that word at Emma um, because it was what we wanted out of people and out of ourselves ultimately, you know, as a team. And I think the companies that have powered through in spite of there maybe not being you know easy funding at hand, um, I think are better served for it in a lot of cases. Create some grit. That's that's right. Yeah. Create some grit. Well, you, you and some grits, right? As the transplants have come to find out. My my team and I are very Tasty. much looking forward to grits tomorrow morning. Yeah. Although I'm more of a hash brown guy, which is weird having grown up in the, in the South. But. You're an anomaly. Are you sure it wasn't <laughs> Albany, New York? <laughs> That's, right. That's right. So you said the, the word grit was kind of near and dear to the Emma team's heart. You built an amazing culture there. In fact, Emma won uh, start the, most, the best culture at a startup here in Nashville, uh, which is an awesome honor. Um, talk to me a little bit about how you built that culture? Because I know it wasn't just sort of magic. Um, it actually was magic. No, it was um, a lot of uh, making things up as we went. So sort of the opposite of magic. Yeah. Um, but a lot of it really was just gut instinct, right? We had never done this before. Although, you know, I'd worked for three or four companies prior to starting Emma with, with my good friend Will. And, and I do have a little bit of a concern about so many of the entrepreneurship programs in, in college, particularly undergrad. Um, that could um, coach a lot of people into starting companies right away as opposed to going and experiencing maybe somebody else's company uh, beforehand because you learn so much, right? And culturally, you know, I personally walked away from those prior experiences having um, seen, some, um, seen some bad things um, done. Uh, one, the first company I worked for actually had to outsource the creation of their values list, which is a, not a good sign. <laughs> based on how that company ended up later. <laughs> I'm um, surprised there's even a consulting then, company that does I, that. I know, right? <laughs> like, I pick up the phone, like, you want us to do what? <laughs> For you? And then uh, a quick aside is like, as a, as a bit of a, a writer and a fan of writing, it bugged me to no end that those 10 values were a mix of, it would be like adjective, 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 noun. <laughs> like, can't even settle on a part of speech. Um, a so I'd seen some. Goes right, a long right. Way. I'd seen yeah. I'd seen culture done the wrong way, and I'd seen yeah. culture done really some good ways. And so I had some things to pull from, right? Yeah. But a lot of it for us was just like 
um, answering the very simple question, well, what kind of place do we want to be a part of? Um, because as you know, like you're part of a startup, you're going to spend a lot of time there. Um, and, and so uh, the easy answer for culture, why don't you just make it a good place? Why don't you make it a place where good people can come together and you know, care a lot about the work but never take themselves too seriously? Uh, maybe have some fun, maybe have beers on Friday. Um, all that good stuff. And so it was very much just sort of reflecting the idea of culture for the team back on us and, and back on myself as I would think about it and say, well, what kind of place do I want? And so that was really, you know, you talk about sort of if you can be your own first customer, um, it saves you a whole lot of time because if you think it's a, it's a you know, a, a decent idea or, or makes the product better, it's a good start. It's not, not the end of it, but um, being your own customer helps. And I felt like I was always customer one for the culture. Yeah. And so, you know, about five or six years in, when I said, gosh, you know, I kind of need a break, right? It'd be nice to like go take a trip or do something, you know, longer than a long weekend. It only took you five or six years? Well, I probably had that thought, you know, a couple times prior to that. I was yeah. going to say, I feel a little but, bad. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk later. Uh, but no, like when, when eventually it hit me like, gosh, that would be a meeting to do, then I said, I'm probably not the only one who, who feels that way. And so we created a sabbatical program where after five years, you get a paid month leave to go do something uh, meaningful. Um, and then no one did it, and so I was like, well, I'll go first, and so we took our, our family to Spain. Lead by example. I mean, just for the team's sake. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, just to, Man. Um, but we, we would have people go study improv in New York on stage for a few weeks um, and go travel internationally, and all we said was, like, come back and tell us the stories, you know, share some, share some pictures, and so, like, that was how we did it, and then at some point, of course, we had to start writing some things down about culture um, as we hit around 25 people, but I always increasingly... I was a fan of culture expressed in very concrete ways, right? Um, these weren't values, you know, printed on a t-shirt, right, or put on a wall. They were things you could walk around and point to uh, that were happening uh, pretty much every single day. And so I could tell you that we were a culture of transparency um, and things like numbers and business performance. I'd rather just show you the dashboards that everyone has access to and take you to an all-hands meeting uh, where we talk very openly about how the business was, was doing. Yeah. Uh, good, good, bad, or otherwise. Um, I could tell you we were, you know, a culture of gratitude. I could show you sort of the the bin of kick-ass cards, right? That any employee could go and grab one and write a personal note to a colleague and say, "I really think you did some extraordinary work there," um, and hand that out. And so I, you know, I, I like the idea increasingly of thinking of values as just the qualities that you want in the people that you're assembling, right? Because a, a culture of respect will. Shouldn't you just hire respectful people um, or integrity, right? And let's skip Novel ahead idea. and right, make culture what I think it is also about, which is the things that we commit to doing um, day in and day out together. So. Well, and you assembled an amazing team. And uh, it's my understanding they weren't all in Nashville. At one point, you did branch out. Can you talk to me a little bit about that decision and what that added to the culture yeah the um, I mean the talent question it has come up a few times tonight like certainly sure. years ago it was it was difficult to find um, engineers on time it was difficult to find um, some slightly more seasoned leaders in technology and maybe some product in some other areas um, and so part of how we saw that in addition to um, obviously you know leveraging our you know attempting to leverage our brand and reputation here um, was an opening an office in, in Portland Oregon a really good open source town and um, and a second little market for us and access to the West Coast and customer time zone coverage and other things, but um, primarily as a source of talent, um, which was really interesting. And, and we also like the idea of going to see Portland every once in a while. It's a cool town, particularly in August here. Um, <laughs> so uh, we, um, it was interesting, right? Because um, on the one hand, we could still find um, like-minded people who saw the world 
um, in, in similar ways and, and, um, and we're, we're curious and interesting people and funny and all that good stuff. Um, but it also brought a, a distinct flavor and we like that too. And, and um, the office, as somebody said here about their, their Nashville office, right? right? Like it was a different flavor of that similar, uh, that same sort of uh, umbrella culture and experience. And we really liked that. Um, and, and yet we also wanted to make sure there was a lot of face-to-face -face time and in-person time. And so we actually ended up buying a condo across the street from our 8th Avenue offices here so that we knew that when people came to visit, um, it would be a good and consistent experience and they could sort of walk to work and, and do these things that you know, some of us were able to do. So. Clint, I could ask you questions about growing Emma all day, uh, but instead I'll end with a question of what do you want to see here in the Nashville community uh, over the next couple of years? Well, I, I think um, your, your, your last folks said it. I, you know, I, I'd certainly like to see the community continue to grow. Um, more um, really smart, interesting people um, striking out on their own. I would love to see more um, seasoned, um, you know, entrepreneurs and, 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 and veterans of startups um, kind of do that and lead the charge. I think more technical founders would be fantastic as somebody, you know, technically oriented startups have that, have that gap in the beginning and it remains a hurdle for, for a while. Um, and I'd also like to see us hold on to some things um, in, in Nashville and I think it's also been brought up that this is a pretty um, warm and welcoming place. Uh, one of the qualities that we always appreciated about Nashville was that um, rarely would anyone turn you down for coffee or beer um, and, and let you sort of pick their brains and, and their experiences. And, and um, I want us to hold on to things like that um, and to make sure that as much as there are a lot of people moving to town and a lot of companies coming to town and looking for talent here, um, and there's more competition, right, for, for funding, for, for talent, for... Uh, real estate, right? All of it. Yeah. Um, that, that we also hold on to, you know, that collegial spirit, which I think um, goes hand in hand with the creative element that, that Nashville also has in space. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I hope that too. Uh, Clint, thank you so much for all your support with the Tech Census. Thank you for coming and sharing your story, for contributing through your success at Emma and now even uh, in some of the things you're doing as an entrepreneur in residence at the Entrepreneur Center. I know you're doing other things in the community as well. So thank you so much. Let's give it up for Clint. Thank you. That's it for today's show. Thanks so much for listening. Head on over to powderkeg.com to get links to all the people and resources mentioned in this episode. While you're there, I highly encourage you, if you haven't already, to listen to our episodes unveiling the Indianapolis, the Cincinnati, the Denver, and the Boulder Tech Census Reports. There's so much happening outside the Valley right now and so many insights to gain by understanding how companies in these regional tech hubs are really pushing themselves forward. They're succeeding, they're innovating, and they're using their strengths to, frankly, gain a competitive advantage. And Tennessee is certainly one of those, and you heard that on today's episode. Uh, so make sure you check them out. Check out the reports while you're at it. The reports are absolutely free to download, so check them out at powderkeg.com and the resources tab. And to be among the first to hear the stories about entrepreneurs, investors, and other tech leaders outside of Silicon Valley, make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes at powderkeg.com forward slash iTunes. We'll catch you next time on Powderkeg Igniting Startups.